0: Get your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture With Stick Around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around
1: The podcast that will get you wetter than Storm Dennis Brought to you by the triumphant return of Toffo's it's not technically toffee, hence the O, but who cares? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think... Um, well, um, what ha- exactly were toffos? Are they, were they a bit like
1: Rolos? I'm trying to remember. What they, um, they were like... Well, they were the same shape as a Rolo, but they were just little toffees, often flavoured. Uh, like strawberry toffos, I think you could get. Were they... You didn't
0: get them in a roll, you got them in a kind of weird tray thing.
1: No, no. No, no. You're thinking oh. of toffifi. Um, <laughs> no... Uh, no, they definitely came in a roll. This man knows okay. his toffee treats. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> clearly, well, and yeah, no, I don't, I've got no idea. The
1: legal, the, the legal guys at Toffo, are keen for me to stress that they're not technically toffee. Um, although, once everything in Brexit has been finalised, we'll be able to lie again. So that's a great thing. <laughs> <laughs> Finally,
0: God's sake. Yeah. Um, what were your experiences of toffos? Now, growing uh, up.
1: The good, good. Um <laughs> I think have you, they,
0: have you been paid to say that though?
1: Um I mean <laughs> one might say that they give me, you know, illustrious and heartwarming childhood memories. Um I'm not <laughs> at liberty to say whether I was paid to say that or not. <laughs> Would you class uh, them as a sweet or a chocolate? Well, they're not chocolate, so they have to be sweet, don't they? So, I mean, like, a sweet yeah, is Yeah, but like do they, a... could
2: they fall into the chocolate bracket? You know, like like having a toffee in a, in a tub of whatever, of chocolates.
0: Yeah, but, well... Mm, I know what you mean, yeah. I, I know think what you mean, could fit but... in a tub of chocolates, but you still couldn't call them a chocolate themselves. It's a bit like... Mm. is it? Which ones have those gold, like, flat toffees? Quality Street. No, no, they're great, then. No, they are the toffee. worst. Yeah, they're the worst. No, no. I mean, to be fair, most of Quality <laughs> Street is a bit shit, but... Agreed, agreed. Roses all the way, obviously. Oh, <laughs> I, don't no, I, I, dis-
1: I disagree, I disagree.
0: <laughs> I don't even know the roses. I think, for me, it's just celebrations or I the think, other yeah. one.
1: Bounties
2: aside, celebrations are great as well. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah, bounties can fucking do one. Um, you can. bounties are great. <laughs> uh, anyway, taste, guys. Taste
0: the paradise. Anyway, go on, now. sorry.
1: Uh, <laughs> you're here for Stick Around Films, best oh, of well. 2019. Um, obviously coming at you in February. Bing bong boom. Posted it live here on my shitty laptop mic. It was going to be coming
0: at you in February, but then my hard drive broke, so I couldn't edit it. So it's really late. So it's actually coming at you in March. Bye. Bing bong boom.
1: Um, has everyone got their top five lists ready?
0: Not at all. I've just um, <laughs> I've just plucking stuff out of the air out.
1: Right, okay, good to hear, good to hear.
0: I'm going to try and so, make a case for it.
1: So, without further ado, <laughs> Clive <laughs> Fisher, what is your number five?
0: Oh, Jesus. That was supposed to be your to, cue to leave me to last, all right. Um, no, I have, got, I have got a list, I haven't done massive notes, so it might be a bit, um, but we're going to be swift, that's all right. Uh, my number five film of 2019. Before I start, um, I watched quite a few. I think I watched 30 in the end last year, which is less than I have the previous three or four years, I reckon. But still, I caught up a bit in January uh, on some stuff that I wanted to watch. There's still a few that I haven't got around to watching, which is a shame. But um, so my top five is it was very hard. And another thing to mention is that my five they're very clumped together this year. It was quite hard to pick, not because because like, the number one isn't really as high on my old time as, for example, my number one last year, Mine in the Gap. But equally, my number five is probably higher than the number five last year, so it's a bit... Interesting. A bit clumpy, clumpy. Uh, but anyway, number five is For Sammer, um, which is directed by Wad al Kaddiab. I'm going to have pronounced that completely wrong. I apologise. Edward Watts. I'm probably going to have pronounced that correctly because I'm just a white <laughs> Westerner who can only pronounce white Western names. Um... <laughs> it's a Before Summer is a documentary film um about a woman who uh, ward al khatib in fact uh who directs it it's about her her um, experiences going through the Aleppo uprising in 2011 to 2016 um which is a period of that's something i didn't know loads about um it is filmed entirely she just films everything like you know on the ground it's not a documentary it's like and then this happened with much of a voiceover. It's just everything's kind of happening. You're watching everything happening. And it takes you all the way from 2011 when the uprising starts to 2016 and when, when it finally finishes. And kind of the... I was going to say ups and downs along the way, but it's just downs to be honest. Um, all the way to 2016. And it is one of those... I would actually say it's the most essential film to watch on my list, even though it is a number five. Because it's it's a I guess it's it's a weird one like it should, you can't really talk about the cinematography you can't talk about the acting you can't talk about anything really but you just because it is just an event but it puts you right in that event and it is it's a really devastating film essentially um, it's about her her daughter who she's had with her husband her husband's a doctor and activist and is like ahead of hospitals and keeps having to move around to different hospitals when uh, the hospitals even get bombed. Um, and they kind of move around together and they're both activists trying to get the message out of what's happening and um, you can sometimes see like uh, her husband kind of in the background while she's talking and he'll be like speaking to whatever Sky News or someone through his phone um, um, so the, the activists just getting the message out of what was going on which I'm sh- um, sure wasn't, there wasn't a lot getting out judging by just how horrific it was there, I can't imagine the, uh, many journalists going in um, it's not an easy watch at all, it's it's completely eye-opening. I mean, it's kind of... I just didn't expect it to be as bad as it was. I don't know. And also, even though you sometimes have an image of how bad you think something is, when you actually see it, you're like, Jesus Christ. Um, and, you know, this is, like I say, not an easy watch. You will see dead people being brought into hospitals. So you will see people dying in front of your eyes. You will see babies pulled out of uh, dead people's stomach. Ugh, it's rough, it's rough. Uh, but it's none of it is... <sighs> Un, none of it is there for the sake of it you know what i mean it's completely what she's what the what they're both experiencing and it all has value absolutely and it's just a shocking kind of portrait of what happens in a in a war like this and in um when a community's just getting decimated like this basically and there's one particularly uh, poignant part where they're sort of just driving through Aleppo and she's like filming out the side of the car and it's just everything is just bomb to shit there's nothing there's just like dilapidated walls there's nothing left that is even remotely intact and it's just they're just driving on and on and on and it's just like this and it's just like what the hell Jesus Christ um, and yeah so it's a really really eye opening film I don't want to talk too much more about it it's not I just can't really spoil it but it's yeah really great I really think everyone should watch it um, it's just, I guess, this far down because it's it's a weird one because it doesn't <laughs> feel as much like a, a film and I can't talk about the other things and it's it's well edited and stuff and uh, the the way she films stuff is makes you feel like you're in it because it's quite handy cam and that kind of style um, which is good for this kind of film makes it very immersive but yeah, a really, really good film that I think everyone should see and like I say, probably if you did only watch one film from our list I'd suggest you probably watch this because I feel like it's would be a valuable experience for everyone to to know what was actually happening, uh, which may be a little bit worse than what they probably had in their heads. Has anyone else seen this?
1: Yeah, I saw it a couple of weeks ago, actually. So I saw it in 2020. Obviously, it is a 2019 release. Um, I I thought it was devastating. And like Mm. you, as as bad as you hit, you know, the famous, what's that famous Stalin quote? Um, You know, one death is a tragedy, one million a statistic. Um, the point being that unless you, you you can put a human face on something like that, um, it's hard to kind of stir you emotionally. Or mm,
0: yeah. you
1: know, I mean, not that I mean that makes us sound sociopathic, but it's sorry, it's just a basic fact of our interaction. Uh, I mean, Force Armor definitely puts a face on it. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's non-stop bleakness um, with with hope dashed in or sprinkled over it. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, you'll never see a better war documentary. I mean, from a front line, not from soldiers, but from people who are living in basically a bombing zone. I mean, Syria's still not fixed. It's still not over. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. what a uh, state of perpetual war that region is. Um, Yeah, essential viewing, although difficult. Have you seen this one, Michael? Mm. I've never heard of it. Right. So okay. it was well,
0: on it was on all four for a bit I don't know if it still is I know a lot of people watched it that way yeah so yeah. it's hard hitting to say the least oh
1: yeah I mean it's it is uh, absolutely yeah I mean you'll be amazed at what she caught on Cameron the bravery mm. she must have you know had to keep filming while some of these things were happening mm-hmm. Um yeah, yeah just with the just with the sort of intent of getting
0: stuff out there so people could see it so yeah it is pretty inspiring and Yeah, very impressive film.
1: Okay, that's Clive's number five. Um, Michael, what have you got at number five? Right, okay. At five, I've got a film that I previously talked
2: about on a podcast Um, The Day Shall Come, the latest Chris Morris film. First in nine years since Four Lions. Uh, Co written with Jesse Armstrong, uh, and given given his previous work on, um, well, for a start, Four Lions, but also. uh, shows such as Peep Show and Succession. It's no surprise that a lot of this film's strength is built around uh, zippy, blink and you'll miss it dialogue. Uh, lots of little jokes buried in there, um, in between the lines of the script. Um, other than that, its humour is drawn largely from um, the utterly absurd. So, this is a, a farcical, cutting satire of. FBI sting operations um, set in Florida uh, around a tiny and completely ludicrous terrorist, well, a cult, but not even a terrorist one until the FBI decides to uh, to make it one. Um, I think that combination of um, the fact that it's ridiculous but the fact that it's making very serious points really gives viewers a self-righteous high when you start watching it laughing away at it. Uh, That's exactly what Four Lions did, and the trick's basically repeated here by Morris, who's always been, obviously, a master of this sort of form of storytelling. Uh, Never been afraid to go for the totally absurd, and certainly not here either. I thought Anna Kendrick is uh, particularly excellent in it. I think we mentioned before how unlikely it seemed that we'd see someone like her acting in a Chris Morris project uh K. Van Novak is particularly good value as um, a preposterous paedophile on the FBI's <laughs> payroll as an informant and I also That's... enjoyed uh, I also enjoyed Jim Gaffigan's appearance as an, uh, a fake Nazi in it as well, that was quite amusing um, I, I wouldn't generally agree with I think what was a wider perception that this wasn't quite as strong as some of Morris's work, I thought it was brilliant I was laughing all the way through it I think which is all all, all you can really ask for but as I say also it's um, you know, it's aiming at the right targets with its satire as well. Some of the things I'll remember about it uh, certainly are the end credits, which uh, are, abs- are, tr- are truly cutting. They really, um, uh, well, not the credits so much, but the pre credits, um, sort of wrapping up the ending of the story, they really cut to the core of the message of the film. Uh, and some, at some, a tragic in a way, really, uh, really add that sort of element to the film. And some of the some of the aspects of the film that are just hilarious uh, that I won't explain again here, like Black Santa or Duck Walks. You'll have to watch the film to, uh, to see what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, uh, well worthy of a, a spot at, at five on my list, this. I really enjoyed it, and I think it didn't really get that much attention. Uh, but of course, we, I think we mentioned before that it's, its gimmick is that it's based on you know a 100 true stories, and Morris unsurprisingly did draw from real life events and, of course, life is often stranger than fiction. A lot of these ideas that seem quite silly in the film are actually based on real life occurrences. So, yeah. Great little film.
1: Another one I've seen. um Yeah, it was... I, I pretty much largely agree with everything you've said there. It's hilarious. Absurd. Um I would say it's not as strong as Four Lines, in my opinion. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean,
2: Four Lines is my favourite comedy of the, of the 2010s. So... Yeah, yeah, there's a lot to live up to, uh, but it's, yeah. it's very similar stylistically, even though it's shot in a more. I think it looks more like a Hollywood film than Four Lions did, which felt very British, obviously.
1: Yeah, but and um, yeah, I, I I had a blast watching it. Um, it it's not really a criticism, but it did feel like it was a comedy out of time to a certain extent. Mm-hmm, it felt yeah. it felt it felt like it was touching a subject that would be had been more relevant ten years previously. Um, but I'm, I'm sure it is still relevant but you know feels like it isn't big news anymore but um, it, you know brilliant stuff Clive have you seen this one I, I don't think you had when we re- we reviewed it initially no I
0: still haven't this is one of the ones on the list that I haven't got around to yet it sounds great though so I do need to watch it but I wanted I think it's because I wanted to watch Four Lions first and I still haven't got around to that oh man
1: um, well yeah <laughs> you, know. are, you are missing out there missing yeah, I out I know <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, how long was it between Four Lines and The Day Shall Come? Nine years. Nine years, yeah. So we could be waiting a while again, so you've got plenty of time, Clyde, to catch up. A long time, isn't it, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, moving on to my number five. Um, I had a bit of a debate about The Order of Mine. Um, a lot of my lists could have gone in any place. But in at number five for me is Knives Out... Um, the American kind of mystery, kind of crime whodunit thriller, directed by Ryan Johnson, probably better known for, um, well, Star Wars The Last Jedi, uh, Looper, among other things. Uh, stars Daniel Craig, uh, Chris Evans, Jamie Lee Curtis, Anna D'Amers, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, Tony Collette, Keith Stanfield, uh, Christopher Plummer. Many others. Um, I didn't. I don't think we reviewed this on the show um, because it came out at the end of last year when we were in our hiatus. I didn't have. I mean, there were better films I saw last year. Obviously, uh, you know, four of them. But um, I don't think I had more fun in the cinema than when I saw *Knives Out*. Um, It's an obvious homage to Poirot or you know Agatha Christie novels in general. Um, But it's somehow a parody, a satire. And a loving kind of connection to them at the same time. Um, It's one of those films where you're expecting a twist. You're expecting, um, you know, a big gas moment. And they are quite continuous and unexpected. What you think the twist is going to be about turns out to be irrelevant. Or turns out to be revealed very quickly. And the film is constantly pulling the rug from under you. But in the most satisfying way. Because a great kind of who done it or mystery thriller when the big reveal comes it should make perfect sense almost instantly but you shouldn't have seen it coming you should have your subconscious brain should have picked up on the various um you know clues that have been littered throughout it um and then it just suddenly clicks when the reveal happens nothing i hate more about a mystery film where it turns out it was some uh, peripheral character who had nothing really to do with it um like, you need, it's a cheat, basically. But no, I had no more. I didn't have any more fun in the cinema than watching this last year. Daniel Craig doing probably the worst accent you've ever heard deliberately, and yeah, you know, <laughs> he's never been better. Did any? Did anyone else see this one? I don't think you did. Did you?
0: No, I've not got around to this one as well. Another one on the list. That I'm hoping to get around to.
1: I think um, a lot of people will consider me calling something fun as to be you know damning with faint praise but I really don't mean it that way um you know it's genuinely worth every second of your time Michael you, you would really enjoy this one as well I think
2: yeah when I saw the uh, I saw the trailer for it it wasn't uh, in terms of style and visually it wasn't jumping out at me so it didn't really grip me but I've, I've obviously heard loud and clear all the praise you've given it since yeah I think I should definitely check it out at some point. It's funny how sometimes I let trailers do that to me, even though we shouldn't, because I've seen loads of great films that didn't have great trailers, but yeah, yeah and it's that, just one of those things
1: sometimes. And I've seen some really bad films that have had a great trailer. So. Yeah, of course. So yeah, <laughs> um, But no, it, it is, I mean... Oh, the cast is amazing though, on
2: paper, so... Um, yeah. Yeah, usually Lakeith Stanfield alone is enough to, to drag me in, so...
1: Yeah, I mean yep. he's got a, he's got a relatively minor role in a huge ensemble yeah, but um, well still, you know. But yeah. yeah, he's he's well worth the money. Um <laughs> I mean it, it it somehow manages to be both funny, shocking and just a flat out thrill ride at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um I I read a lot of people saying it's taking the piss out of Agatha Christie. It's really not it's you know this is written by a fan. Um but yeah, you will have more fun. And I'll leave it at that. Cool. So, we're on to number four. Boop! My Fisher, what have you got?
0: Uh, My number four is, uh, perhaps predictably, that this would end up in the top five. Um, And I hope this came out last year. I'm having slight panic attack (laughs) that it didn't. Uh, A Rolling rolling Thunder review, a Bob Dylan story by Martin Scorsese. I'm pretty sure it did. Yeah, Yeah, it did. did. It was released last year. Excellent. Um... Obviously, it's Bob Dylan, so it's probably going to make my top five. I am very biased. Um, it's the Rolling Thunder Review. Is it's directed by Martin Scorsese, like I said, it, who also directed. Um, Don't look. Oh God, I always forget the bloody no. no Direction Home. I think was the documentary him which is about four hours long, which is excellent. Um, which is more about sixties, Dylan? This is very much about seventies, um, Dylan. It's made up of various clips of the Rolling Thunder review tour and outtakes from uh, the film Ronaldo and Clara, which I've not seen. Filmed at the same time, so it's kind of this weird mix of where is his first documentary No Action Home? Is an entirely uh, sort of factual documentary. This one's mixed. It's got this weird blend of fact and fiction. Some of the stuff you're watching is film was filmed for a film, and some of the stuff is just from a, like tour footage and stuff like that. And it is not always particularly clear uh, what is what, which is really interesting. And kind of the first time I'd ever seen something a bit like that, really. Um, and I think Dylan, because of his, the kind of weird mystique he has, I think it works perfectly with um, making Dylan the subject of a documentary like this. And um, For those who don't know, the Rolling Thunder review tour was kind of interesting because um, it was obviously Dylan was massive at the time um, and he toured with some other pretty massive uh, musicians and they essentially just toured around in a van and didn't really announce where they were gonna be playing until very, uh, only really locally, um, like by handing out flies and stuff as far as I know. Um, So people would get to go see them in these pretty intimate venues, uh, despite the fact that they were pretty massive. Um, Which is really interesting and obviously the tour didn't, I think in the trailer it makes it clear that the tour didn't make any profit. (laughs) But Dylan's keen to point out that that wasn't the point of it. and yeah, so it's a really interesting tour just on its own And if you're a fan of, um, I mean, 70s Dylan in particular Particularly the album Desire, you're probably going to have a good time Because it features a lot of those songs played live um, And the, the, just the the live show is very interesting, it's very circusy. It's very. It's got this strange feel to it, unlike, um, I think it was based on like a, a is it, Are they called rolling circuses?
1: Uh, yeah, that sounds
0: right A roaming circus, uh, or something like that, yeah, yeah. That kind of vibe um it's very very interesting um you, like i say you're never quite sure what what ha- actually happened and what didn't um it gives, provides just this weird portrait of dylan which if anything just makes adds more mystery to him than was already there <laughs> uh, which is great because i feel like that's just, that's just the kind of person he is um and he's just the, the other thing that's really interesting is how different he is and obviously some of this is uh fictional to if you've watched no direction home uh just how different Dylan is to it's almost two different people and I guess the film I'm Not There kind of gets at that, that Dylan has very sort of specific phases where he does kind of just change who he is um, and, and this, I'd say this is certainly one of those um, and it's just really interesting seeing all these big names, you know, Jodie Mitchell uh, Patty Smith, all this kind of stuff and they just pick people up as they go, drop them back off and some, some people join the tour for a little bit and some, and then go back off again and you know, Dylan's the kind of uh, the, the one who's always there um, but there's always a, a cast of interesting people there with him and yeah it's a w- really well shot the way I don't know because I think because some, some of its uh, outtakes for Ronaldo and Clara it has that kind of film vibe to it but um, all the other stuff seems to be I don't know it's just shot in a very energetic way um, which I think brings the whole thing alive and last thing <clears throat> this, just like I've mentioned already the great song performances Mister, <clears throat> there's a sort of husky version of Mr Tambourine Man on the opening that opens the documentary and he's got this white face paint on as he did for most of the tour. Um, And he's just... It's just a really mesmerising performance and it's, again, testament to the fact that Dylan does not go out and play the songs much to a lot of people's hate as he wrote them. Um, And he he just completely... He made everything sound a bit like how stuff sounds on Desire, even the songs that were not from Desire. So there's excellent performances of things like uh, uh, the lonesome... Death of Hattie Carol um, songs like that and yeah as well as great performances of the songs from Desire which are all great one more cup of coffee that kind of stuff um, so yeah really really recommend it you'll get some great Dylan performances you'll see some weird backstage stuff and it's just a really memorable well put together experience I thought particularly if you're a Dylan nerd I think you'll still get plenty out of it if you're not but probably not quite as much um, it, I could sit and watch Dylan documentaries 24 hours a day probably but yeah um, yeah, it's it's really really well done, and I'm glad Martin Scorsese did another one. I'd really be I'd be really interested for Martin Scorsese to do one about '80s Dylan, uh, because I feel like it's an era that a <laughs> where he went, he uh, wasn't as good to put it bluntly, but there's still a lot of interesting stuff that he did in the '80s. And yeah, I'd be I'd be really interested to see a documentary about what, kind of what was going on there. But anyway, yeah, great film, check it out.
1: Yeah, I mean, Scorsese is kind of king of the rock documentary. Um, wouldn't surprise me if he revisited Dylan in the 80s. if Assuming that there is the audience, but I understand this did pretty well for Netflix. Did you watch this, Michael? No, I haven't seen it. I certainly should see it. How I've not
2: seen No Direction Home yet, I do not know. Probably because of the <laughs> running length, I would imagine. Yeah, But that shouldn't really be an issue with, uh, with Dylan. I, sh- I should have seen it by now. But yeah, I'd like to watch both um, as soon as that opportunity arises. Cool. We move
1: on to Michael Johnson with his number four.
2: Thank you. Uh, right, so this is uh, obviously under our rules. This is a film that came out in 2019 in the UK. It's one that I would have had in my list last year and did, in fact, but I had to make last-minute changes when I realised it came out on New Year's <laughs> Day last year. So but, uh, <laughs> he, he says not unbitterly. Oh, not, a, not, not at all. Um, yeah, well, I should have known the rules. Uh, this year I did. So, at four, I've got the favourite uh, breakthrough movie by uh, the Greek filmmaker Georges Lanthimos, who um, basically, with his last two films, as well as a fixture in my year-end list every time he releases something now. Um, this film's no exception to that. It was obviously an Oscar nomination magnet, this film, and Olivia Colman swept the board at the Oscars, BAFTAs and Golden Globes for uh, for Best Actress for a performance as uh, Queen Anne in this film, and I would say certainly deservedly. Uh, Rachel Weiss and Emma Stone are both excellent as well as uh, two characters engaged in a deadly game attempting to jostle for position as the court favourite to the Queen in the film. Uh, and Nicholas Holt I also thought is uh, is really good in this film as well. Uh, all very strongly written characters. It's not your average period piece as anyone familiar with Lanthimos' output will be able to guess. It's very much in his trademark oddball style. It's twisty. The plotting is very unpredictable. It's a bit of a roller coaster in that sense, and I really enjoyed watching it for that reason. Uh, it leaves quite a bitter taste, which I think is again um, a, a definite calling card of Landthemas's material, uh, especially the final scene in this film, which is very woozy and really left a left a mark on me. It's full of his symmetrical long shots. Uh, his typical cinema to graphic style, and generally I think he's one of the most exciting and distinct figures to have emerged in cinema recently. Um, I'm sure that now he's had the success that The Favourite brought, that he's going to be handling bigger bu- budgets. He's already worked with high-profile actors in uh, in all of his films, really, uh, since The Lobster. And, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see uh, where he goes next, but as his stuff, has a, as I say, his stuff has a very clear... Um, Trademark in terms of content and the way it's presented, and uh, it would be very difficult to imagine him doing a dull or underwhelming film. So this is well worthy of a place at
1: four. Uh, it's not made my list, but it could easily have done. Um, brilliant filmmaking. I think to be honest with you, on paper, the actual genre didn't really appeal to me that much. No, same, same for sure. Yeah. Such is the strength of the filmmaking, you know, and absolutely, you know. Unbelievable performance by Olivia Coleman. Un- unflattering performance as well, which is quite often yeah. hard to do. Big um, time. Did you see this one, Clive? No,
0: again, I've not seen this one either. Oh, um, I thought you'd, I thought you'd have seen yeah. this
2: one, Clive. But, yeah. You thought what? I thought you'd have seen this one, just just because yeah. the hype had. You know,
0: but. yeah, this is again high on my list of stuff to watch, and oh, yeah. there's so many that I haven't got around to. I kind of focused on the more weird ones um, mm-hmm. that were less well known, which is probably silly. <laughs> so I haven't got around to this either. Yeah, uh, but I've heard great things about it, and it, again, I think the thing that did make me not go around to watching it is the fact that the genre doesn't really appeal. Oh yeah, and I still need to get around and,
2: yeah. Yeah. and do that. Don't let it make you hesitate at all, because that was exactly yeah. the same for me. I remember seeing the trailer and thinking, "Well, this looks intriguing," but then when I found out who it was by, that was it, obviously. Mm. Um, that was all I needed. So,
1: cool. Uh, we'll move on to my number four. Uh, my number four again. Like I said earlier, I could have had any of these in pretty much any order. I'm fairly confident that this... No, I'm I'm very confident that this will turn up later in Michael's list. Um, It's Midsommar, the folk horror film directed by Ari Aster, uh, his second film after Hereditary, uh, starring Florence Pugh, uh, who had an incredible breakout year, uh, Jack Rayner, William Jackson Harper, Will Poulter, among others. Um, Anyone who doesn't know what this is about... It's set in a pagan cult festival in Sweden, uh, where, having experienced some fairly traumatic events, let's say, without spoiling the rest of the film, um, our protagonist has an awakening of sort in a really bizarre, um, surreal um, horror, which at times isn't a horror. I've heard it described as a breakup movie, and I heartily agree. Um I don't think I've been as unsettled while also chuckling at the same time. Um like all great pornography, you know. Um not that I'm not that I would call this pornography, but um this is it, it it's part slasher, part uh surreal, surrealist. Um part part rom-com almost in in, in some bizarre fashion. A worthy second horror film by Ari Aster. It's certainly the most unsettled I've been at the cinema. If Knives Out was the most fun I had at the cinema in 2019, Midsommar <laughs> was the point which I was squirming in my seat the most. Michael, I don't know if you really want to say much now, but...
2: Well, it probably makes more sense for me to talk about it now, doesn't it? Go for it. Um, yeah, so this is number two on my list. Um, I've, uh, well, yeah, I mean, I've, was, I took a lot from this film. Obviously, and I talked about it on the podcast previously, um, but I'll go over some of the things I wanted to mention again. Obviously, Aster, uh, just from Hereditary, and now this film has become adept at presenting his films as puzzle boxes. He scatters clues throughout them, uh, which make them a very enthralling experience and basically made for group viewing. They're very much films that you, I think you go to the cinema with people to watch and then you discuss afterwards, and a lot of the mystery remains unsolved. That's what I've experienced. Uh, you're absolutely right that it, well, it's a hugely unsettling film more than it is a scary one, but you will be laughing during it, uh, or you should—you certainly should be.
1: You're laughing in spite of yourself at times.
2: Sometimes, yeah. Some yeah. of it is just laugh-out-loud funny. Some of it is extremely strange, such as that sex scene. Um, yeah, that,
1: that sex scene, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: um, yeah, that's not a scene you'll forget when you've seen it. Uh, for me, the film touches on a lot of issues, but uh, very subtly such as gender, um sexual behavior, racism and xenophobia in particular uh as this group of american outsiders enters this swedish uh, traditional festival. I'm going to make a shameless plug here. I've wrote about this film and my number 3 film uh which I'll reveal later much more extensively on my blog Roads to the North. <laughs> so I'm just going to drop that in. But in that I've uh, I so- I mentioned this what I've called this concept of a sort of synthetic authenticity. Where writers, uh, creators, are able to confect what feels like a seemingly natural aura from disparate parts, and I think that's done absolutely superbly by Asta here. He takes folklore and history, um, sort of such sort of cult practices uh, from Scandinavian history, uh, weaves them effortlessly into the fabric of his story here, and I think you know that the same sort of concept comes up in the number three and number one films that I'm going to talk about in different ways as well, but for me there's nothing more difficult and therefore when it's achieved more impressive than when uh, writers and directors manage to bring these things together and make films feel like they, they, they bring together elements that make sense and have a certain logic into their story even though they don't necessarily fit together in an obvious level and I think that's that's what uh, Asta's done superbly here the film is packed with absolutely radiant imagery and colours. It's a treat to to watch in terms of the visual style. It's amazing. And another thing that's amazing is um, the work of the British producer, H- the Haxan Cloak, who scores the film. In- incredible, the effort that's been put into doing that that people probably won't realise. He drew from traditional folk music, employed a specialist in interpreting sacred texts through singing... In order to uh, to bring this score to life, and invented his own um instruments uh, completely fabricated instruments to really create a, a highly organic score for this film and the music for me is very much equal to the acting, shooting, and writing of the film you know they're all there's no hierarchy there they're all completely integral to the the end package, which is extremely strong for me, the central concept of the film, and I, I discussed this before is sound and silence. Uh, and how that plays into the way um, damaging and reaction reviews spread throughout societies. And I think this film is an appeal for a much gentler world than the one we have today, uh, which is channelled through the prism of the most twisted possible form of breakup movie, like Alex mentioned. Uh, But this is an absolute triumph. It's one of the maddest films I've ever seen in my life, and I think we should absolutely (laughs) celebrate that said much better
1: than I did uh, Mike, uh, Kyle, uh, Kyle Clive, have you seen this? <laughs> yeah? Didn't know Good Kyle start. was on <laughs>
0: um, I've, Yeah, this, this ended up between my five and ten, really really great I yes. uh, pretty much echo your thoughts Al, particularly yours, of being very unsettled and I can't say, I, I think I echo Michael's thoughts, although they're so high above my station that
2: not, they are not they are not,
0: I've never thought so eloquently. That's the problem. So I don't know if I can echo them. <laughs>
1: Thank you for the compliment. <laughs> did you? Um, does this make your list, Clive?
0: Um, no, like I say, between it's, five it's between five and ten. So oh, it sorry, made, it sorry, hasn't made my, so my top that. five, but it was very high up. Yeah, I did really. I think enjoy it might be the wrong word, but yeah, it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one yeah. of those. It, it leaves great, you great feeling film. quite and and I think yeah. the madness of it is is a good point that you picked out, Michael. It is just mad. Yeah. And, which I appreciate stuff that is just a bit mad because it takes I don't know it takes something to to step out of the box that much that something appears mad and um, I think I I watched uh, Uncut Gems the other day which I'll talk about probably on the next podcast (laughs) which uh, is is similar in a a completely different way but yeah I can see um, that (laughs) that. oh really I haven't seen it yet
1: I mean it's not it doesn't it's not a horror film by any stretch no it's not it's just mad
0: in a different way Uh, it's just intense right yeah but yeah this is definitely a great film Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, yeah. Go on. Sorry.
1: Well, I was just going to say before we start talking about them, um, Uncut Gems could, if had it had a cinematic release, this I believe it is a 2019 film, but we can't use it because oh. it's not. It's not a uh, British 2019 yeah, release. Yeah. Okay. It's mm-hmm. Netflix only.
0: Yeah. It's on my so, 2020 list. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Okay.
1: If it, if it didn't happen in Britain, it didn't happen. nope Exactly, that's, yeah. what, that's what Brexit is all about. <laughs> exactly, this, if
0: anything, Brexit should be the government should be championing this podcast now.
1: Yeah, we were we were a
2: precursor to Brexit
0: with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're like the only yeah. people who make this list
1: <laughs>
0: based on British releases.
1: Yeah. Anyway, uh, Clive, what's your number three? My number three is a film I talked about last episode,
0: or at least mentioned last episode, I didn't talk about it, um, is a film called Burning, and I'm not going to talk massively about it, because I think the more you talk about Burning, the more you spoil it. Burning is a, I'll just read the Wikipedia chisel, 2018 South Korean psychological mystery drama, a lot of of words there, co-written, co-produced and directed by Lee Chang-dong, based on the short story Barn Burning from The Elephant Vanishes uh, by author Haruki Murakami. Uh, stars you are in Stephen Yun, who you might know from The Walking Dead, and Jean Jean Seo. Again, apologies if I've pronounced any of those wrong. Burning is a a film that centres really on three characters. We've got um, uh, I haven't looked up their names because I'm an idiot. So we've got the uh, main woman who kind of goes on a trip. She tells her friend um, to look after the cat. Uh, in her flat, and the, she kind of goes on this trip for three weeks. I think it's to Africa. Uh, comes back with a bloke called Ben, who's Stephen Yoon uh, of The Walking Dead fame. Things just get weird because Stephen Yoon's just this character of who seems to have loads of money, but no one's quite sure why he's got all this money. Um, he just he seems to have some sort of weird things that he does, and he's just a bit of a mysterious character. And I think a lot of the film anchors on his the mystery that his an intrigue that his character creates um it's a brilliant film it's i I, I mentioned it last week when we talked about parasite uh because it's another korean film some great korean films coming out judging by these two um again it's a kind of a i think i took it as a bit of a critique there's certainly a little bit of the class system in there for definite but again i think also the and i don't know much about this the sort of how women are perceived in Korean society I think is also a strong message from some of the reviews that I read Although that isn't one that I got while I was watching it purely because I don't really know that um not really knowing all that much about Korean culture but I just enjoyed it on the surface to be honest uh, as a really, really well put together film that even when it finished, I still had endless questions um, and not in a bad way. I quite like it when you, when they do that and when I had to ponder like, oh, so this happened. But the, does that mean that actually happened? And then, I don't know. It totally doesn't really give anything away um, and you kind of made to make your own mind up at the end and I thought it was fantastic and Stephen Yeun in particular was just really, really good. Um, yeah, so another great Korean film, Burning, is my number three. And I'd highly recommend Everyone check it out. It is, again, a bit weird, a bit unsettling. Not not in the same way as Midsummer at all. Uh, it's more of a psychological thriller, like I say. But it's still certainly a, a little bit unsettling at points.
1: I have it saved, uh, so I've got it recorded or downloaded, whatever you'd call it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I had no idea it was a Murakami adaptation, actually. That makes it even more intriguing to me. Um He's not one of my favourite authors, because I haven't read enough by him, but he's he's definitely an extremely interesting one. Um, the only thing I'll say is, a lot of what's come out of Parasite doing so well is people going, if you haven't seen um, any other Korean films, check this one out. Somebody made a great point on Twitter where they said, you know, it's a bit like saying, you know, if you liked um, Midsommar, an American film, check out Avengers Endgame. <laughs> um, like there are different genres within Korean cinema itself. It's, but it won't be though,
2: will it? Because the people who are who are doing this are likely to be connoisseurs. So to an extent, so it's. I don't. I don't think that's. I do what you mean, but I don't think that's. I think it's a good
1: thing. <laughs> definitely is. Well, I mean, it, the, the, this definitely has a similar.
0: It's got a similar feel, and it might be. You might be right. Like. It, Obviously, as someone who's, I think these are probably the only two Korean films I've watched, it has a similar, to me, a similar kind of theme and feeling to it throughout. Um, But that could be just because they're the only two Korean films I've watched, and if I watched loads of Korean films, I'd be like, well, actually, this is way over this side of the spectrum when it comes to Korean film. And this is, like you say, because obviously we know what American films are like. We are more open to, we know exactly what each of the, we know the differences more, basically. Whereas maybe if someone who'd never ever seen an American film watched two that we thought were two really different, they might think, actually, these are pretty similar. Cause, that's a
1: good, you know that's I mean? a good point, yeah.
2: I, agree. I certainly yeah. do, yeah.
1: Fair. Fair point. Right, Michael, we already know what your number two is, but what's yep. your number three?
2: Yeah, my number three is um, the latest film, highly acclaimed from one of my favourite filmmakers, Quentin Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, a film I didn't get the chance to speak about on the podcast but again I've had very extensive thoughts about Uh, I'm not really going to talk much about the acting more about the content of the film so uh, Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio and Margot Robbie are all very good in this Uh, Pitt obviously just won his first uh, Oscar which at first you think oh that's surprising that he's never won an Oscar before but when you think about it I've never thought he was an incredible actor but he's always been a one I've respected and liked you know but I think mm-hmm. um, uh, he's very good in this film. So, yeah. Um, this whole thing is shot in very sunny Technicolor. Uh, it's another film that's uh, gorgeous to, to look at. Uh, it follows interweaving storylines in uh, Hollywood in 1969, a year that is very much a cultural cliff edge in our uh, Western cultural memory. Uh, I think it, by Tarantino's standards, even though his films are usually long, this is quite a slow burn. In a way, it's a sort of greatest hits parade where he gets to present um, some of his, uh, some more of his uh, Western sort of fantasy filmmaking. Gets to indulge in a bit more of that. Uh, there's a very schlocky um, scene of um, DiCaprio torching some Nazis, which sort of calls back to uh, Inglorious Bastards a bit. <laughs> <laughs> The scenes in those western segments that he acts with um, child actor Julia Butters are some of the uh, most heartwarming of the film. Very strong stuff. Really enjoyed those. Um, the film, as I think most people know, does incorporate the, uh, the Manson murders into its story. And much like a lot of Tarantino's most recent output, it's entirely revisionist with the way it treats those. and The way Tarantino recasts history... I think a lot of what Tarantino has done recently has been from a very liberal perspective of focusing in on historical injustices but in this case it does so, it zooms in much more specifically than other films which were about you know the holocaust or uh, s- slavery in the uh in the south of the United States uh in the past and I think what's interesting this is interest, It's interesting, I think this film is essentially about time in that sense, but it's not really in the same way that... I always say all of Christopher Nolan's films are about time. I think they're more about how we experience time and about whether altering the way we experience time can change future events, whereas Tarantino's films recently... Um, it's been more of an undercurrent. It's not as obvious as it is in Nolan's films, I think, but they're more about... Uh, whether we can change the past and what it means if we try to do that in a fictional setting I think it's very interesting uh, when we rem when we remember the past I think we always attack it in a way because nostalgia is always very misleading and romanticizing and I think some of that comes out in this film uh, in, in a way a lot of a lot of fiction turns out to be autobiographical and a lot of what is supposed to be autobiographical, turns out to be fictional. That's kind of what I'm getting at. And I think this film tells us a lot about the way Tarantino sees the world. But I love the film because I love his style of filmmaking. Uh, I love the way it's structured. The pivotal scene towards the end of the film is an absolute tinderbox where all of the aestheticised violence that everyone knows Tarantino for comes out. And in a way, somehow, despite his track record of doing that, he manages to actually take it up a notch here. It's a very queasy scene to watch, uh, or it will be for some viewers, uh, but it also has that simultaneous effect of being thrilling and hilarious which is what has always made some people uncomfortable about his work. Um and I think that's I mean that that really summarizes everything that I think about this film. Uh, I think if Tarantino does make his last film next which is what he's previously said, he said he would bow out after 10 films and this was the ninth, then obviously cinema is going to be a much less interesting uh place when he's gone despite all of the great directors that we continue to see emerging um you know for me he's had one of the strongest outputs of the last 30 years right up there with probably Paul Thomas Anderson so this was another uh, big hit for me from Tarantino and uh be very interesting to see what he does next if he is going to bill it as his final film really
1: i'm uh, as much as i enjoyed uh, Django Unchained and to an extent um I enjoyed oh shit! Why have I got my mind gone? Talk eight for eight. I'm glad that this wasn't another western, even though obviously it has elements of western as part, in as part of the story. Um, like you said, I think we'll we'll miss him when he's gone. Uh, there seems to be a bit of be a bit of you know a, a tide turning against him with some kind of popular culture, but I've I've never understood it. I really enjoyed this, um, and it was very very close to making my top five. I would call it number six, but. Didn't quite make it. I think it's his strongest work, um, probably since Inglorious Bastards. I'd have it as my number four for him.
2: Oh really? Yeah. Mhm. Okay. Yeah. I don't think it's quite as good as Django Unchained or Inglorious Bastards, but it's you know it's not too far off for me. And I think I know what you mean because there has been this sense where people seem to strongly dislike Tarantino, but I think that's been going on for a lot of years. I don't think it's anything that new. And also, it doesn't seem to chime with the public because they'd go and see his films on masse still. This was his second highest gross behind Django Unchained, which surprised me, actually. But I think it still shows how popular um, he, his work is and how intriguing people find it.
1: Yeah. Clive, any thoughts?
0: Um, again, this is another one I've not seen. <laughs> so oh, OK. It was too, it was too popular, Al, can not be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, yeah. I missed a lot of um, cinema releases last year. I didn't go to the cinema all that much, so I've caught up a lot in January. <clears throat> on the stuff but I've tended to catch up on the stuff that I usually catch up on Jan- in January which is the more indie weird stuff that I couldn't see at the cinema or missed uh, it turns out I missed a lot of the big ones at the cinema as well so I've just, I think that's kind of a bit of a gap this year to be honest as, you've, as we've noticed um, so no I haven't seen this I do want to though it's, uh, it's on the list as are many 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 other films it sounds great and I do like Tarantino I've never I don't think I've ever loved any of his films oh no uh, Pulp Fiction I love Pulp Fiction
1: What Reservoir uh, Dogs?
0: i I need to see it.
1: Oh right, okay.
0: I it's... think I've I think I've seen it but it was bloody ages ago and I can't remember it. And I think it was before I appreciated anything. <laughs> anything.
1: Anything <laughs> right. anything in the world. Okay. Cool. Um let's move on to my number 3 then. Um my number 3 um is a 2019 release just. Um it didn't come out with the cinema. It's um I think, is it the only film on this list that's going to be... Yeah, I think it's the only film on this list that is was a streaming-only release. It's Marriage Story, um, the latest film by Noah Baumbach, um, who people will know from s- several films, but I particularly know from While We're Young. Um, this stars Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver, Laura Dern, who recently just won an Oscar uh, for Best Supporting Actress, uh, Ray Liotta, Alan Alda, various other people. Um, this one stuck up on me, actually. Um, although the, the cast and obviously the director was appealing. It wasn't one where I was massively excited to see. Um, it tells the story of... I mean, it's called Marriage Story, but you, you may as well call it Divorce Story. Um, it tells the story of a couple who are uh, from the performing arts field. So you have... Adam Driver's character, who is a virtuo, virtuoso theatre director who's been given the, um, the MacArthur Genius grant. And you have Scarlett Johansson, who's one of his actors in his, um, his theatre group. But she gave up a career as a you know film and TV actress to do this with him. And it's the story of them splitting apart between New York and L.A. And basically, what starts out as, starts out as a fairly amicable split just turns a bit nasty... And um, a bit difficult, and you know, their battle really to do the best thing for their son. Um, th- th- this one is all too relatable, unfortunately, um, and it will be to a lot of people in terms of how intimate and um, you know, downright horrible we can be to each other, particularly to the people we've had an, in- an intense connection with, um, but also how forgiving we can be. Um there's a part in the end of the film which I won't spoil but um had me as close to tears as I get when I'm watching a film which is I'm not an easy crier, more of a wet eyes kind of person but um <coughs> it had it, it had a, it had my girlfriend Nicola crying um it, it, it's a beautiful film and I think Adam Driver was pretty much robbed of um not that i care too much about the oscars but was pretty much robbed of the best actor performance as good as i think Joaquin Phoenix is in Joker and as much as i don't begrudge him any of his success i think it's an easier part to play um you know it's a more showy performance whereas Adam Driver in this is very much understated very much realistic um yeah i absolutely love this it hit me by surprise quite a lot and um You know, Netflix, I think this is the year where they absolutely smashed it out of the park with their own original films. You know, they're here to stay. Um, Did anyone else see that? I don't think Michael did, but did you, Uh, (laughs) Clive? You've just thrown a massive spanner
0: in the works now, because, yeah, I watched this, and for some reason I was thinking, oh, this is a 2020 film. Uh, I'm a fucking idiot, because, yeah, this would absolutely be probably this high up on my list. If not, it would be contending for number one, to be honest, so... I'm going to continue with my list as it was, with the caveat that this probably will be in there, because um, I, I just hadn't realised it was 2019, because I'm an idiot. Um, it's <laughs> Yeah, a wonderful, wonderful film, and particularly, it's a bit of a, for me, it's probably a bit of a personal thing, because I have uh, I've not been through three divorces, I'm not yet to be married, however, my <laughs> mum and dad divorced, my mum and stepdad then divorced, and my Stepmum and dad also divorced. Um, so this kind of theme and, you know, kids were involved in all those uh, is one that's been quite, uh, you know, happened, happened a lot in my life. And it, it actually made me, it, you know, I was, I was a bit of a bowling mess at, at this film. And again, I can be a film crier, but it's not that often. And it tends to be music that it tends to have to be music that gets it out. I don't think at this particular scene there was music. It just kind of hit me that hard. Is it um, right at
1: the end of the film?
0: Uh, no, I don't think it was. I think it was somewhere okay. more in the middle, and I think it was more relevant to my own experiences. Uh, but it's just—it made me think of the whole like thing of you know splitting up and having to deal with the fact that the kids are more with one person than the other from a completely different angle to which I hadn't really um, hadn't really looked at it like that before, and actually changed. I still need to speak to uh, my dad about this, but I th- yeah, it, it it just made me appreciate things a little bit that you know how difficult things would have been uh, which i hadn't really thought of them from that view just because as a kid you're a bit i don't know you're just kind of selfish and think of things from your own view and uh, and i think this film really really portrays how difficult that is for both parties involved and i hadn't really taken enough of that into account i don't think yeah so a really really good film and just about something that is so prevalent obviously but actually there's not that many films about and in a way it's, it's just done so so well and there's definitely some elements of it which are not all that realistic I don't think but some of which are a bit uh, kind of overdramatic maybe but it's, um, it is I think overall a really realistic portrait of this and you feel like the two characters make sense and you don't think, they both have their own flaws and you don't come out thinking oh this one's, it's all this one's fault um, it's just, yeah, a really, really, really touching film um, so yeah, I think it would be my number one or two if I've rethought it, but I'm not going to rethink that right now. So I'm just carrying with my list <laughs> as I have. But yeah, a really, really great, great film.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I I can't really say much else about it. Um, you know, it's um, intensely um, emotional film, and I think sometimes in the past, Noah Baumbach's films have had a habit of being from a certain perspective that's hard to relate to, simply because he tends to write his um, his work around the creative field and obviously this is around the creative field a you know, a theatre director and um a, you know, a theatre slash movie actress. But I think because the actual main subject of it is is so, you know, intertwined in a lot of people's lives, um, it is, you know, more relatable to the average person. Um, I pretty certain you haven't seen this, Michael. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I didn't
2: know it was by back either. Um Yeah. Yeah, I've seen all the pros for it. Looks Looks interesting,
1: for sure. You You would be a fan, I'm pretty certain. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's move on. Uh, Clive, you said that that would have been your number two, but what actually is your number two?
0: Well, I don't know, it would have been my number two or my number one. My number two uh, that I've got down here is Apollo 11, which might surprise some people. Um, oh, Apollo okay. 11, I'm not going to talk massively is a because it's pretty obvious what it's about. It's a documentary about obviously the Apollo eleven moon landings. It is a documentary made up entirely of actual footage from the time. Um doesn't, as far as I remember, have any sort of voiceover at all. Um it's really just puts you into what's happening from the start and the kind of excitement of what's happening to the you know, the end of the actual moon landing. And it's just it's the only time I've been to the cinema and felt exactly like I'm really immersed in some, like a really big historical event that I wasn't around to witness. Um, because I feel like I've had that before with watching footage of things, but the footage isn't as good quality and it feels like, oh, I'm watching a film of something that happened in the past. Um, in this, it's so... I don't know quite how there is this high quality footage from uh from the 60s but um i don't really know much about film so i assume they probably re whatever it uh remastered it a little bit and it, it looks hd it looks like you're there with with the astronauts and um, and it's really really the fact it doesn't have the voiceover and it's just this event happening in a way made me feel a bit like what it must have felt like for people actually watching the event um for the first time at the time which i obviously couldn't couldn't do because i wasn't didn't exist um, and for that, I think it was just really, really great. And it's yeah, like I say, a kind of really unique documentary and how it how it presents that. And yeah, a, a real, real surprise. I went in thinking, yeah, I'm gonna like this, uh, but came out absolutely loving it. And yeah, like I say, it's my number two with a caveat of I'm not sure where Mary's story goes. So <laughs> film of, of of 2019.
1: So this would be your number one documentary of the year then. Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay, interesting. I wasn't expecting that. I mean, it is one that I was quite keen to watch, but it wasn't maybe as high up. I think the fact that you've put it so high for the year is a persuasive factor.
0: Um, yeah, this the only thing is I would also say is a, a little bit like with 1917 we were talking about last time. This is very. I feel like it is a cinema documentary. Right. It'll be a bit of a shame not to. Uh, you It's the immersion of it that really took me in. Um, and I think a bit of that will be lost if you're watching it on telly or a smaller screen.
1: I'm pretty certain you haven't seen this, have you, Michael? No, I didn't know about this one. Yeah, it's a bit of a twist. Twist, okay, on a twist. <laughs> tw- twist on the list. Big twist. Big twist on the list. Okay, uh, well, for m- maybe a twist. Michael, what's your number one? Well, are we, are we should we do should we leave my number 1 till? Do you want
0: to do your number 2, Al, and then we'll Oh, yeah. good point. Yeah. Good point. So Michael's number 2 was obviously Midsummer. Oh, so sorry,
1: yeah. You have thrown me out. We actually, <laughs> we actually haven't had that much crossover. That was the only one, I think, or at least at this point.
2: Well, ma- okay. marriage yeah. marriage story as well, really.
1: Well, it would have been had Clive had it on his list. Yeah, well, yeah, it? but
2: I think that that's, that's going to count for something when we when we try to rank them. Yeah. I think.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, my number 2 is a film that I'm Fairly certain Clive's seen, but Michael hasn't. Um, it's the directorial and probably writing debut of Bo Burnham, um, eighth grade. Um, it's a coming of age kind of comedy drama about a young girl played by Elsie Fisher. who's in middle school. Um, and her kind of, well, it, it's, it's kind of her kind of trying to navigate the social media world to deal with her own uh well self acceptance and self self esteem really um it's an unashamedly sweet film um which while other films have dealt with social media before and have you know have had their criticisms um this film does in a much more varied and understated way um i mean the the closest comparison I can give to this is a film which I've just forgot the name of Ingrid goes west. Uh, which is a very sharp satire of the Instagram culture. Um, I mean, our, our main character in this um, who is a very shy, very, very naturally inter- introverted character who essentially lives or tries to live a life on YouTube, pretending that she's not giving advice to other people. Uh, advice that you know she can't take for herself. She's called Kayla, um, and I thought it was. Again, intensely relatable, despite the fact that I'm a 32 year old man, and you know this is a I don't know, 12 year old girl. I'm not sure how old. Um, but yeah, I was I was very moved by this, and um, it was it was the film that most surprised me of 2019, and maybe that's a factor that has put it ahead of some other films, maybe unfairly, but um, I thought this was a staggering debut, um, and it had an intense uh, reaction for me. Clive, I'm pretty certain you've seen this one as well.
0: Um, yeah, I really liked Eighth Grade. This, this was my number six, actually, so very, uh, very close to making my top five and pretty much echo all your thoughts there, Al. Um, yeah, it's a very great sort of uh, critique of that social media culture and a very accurate one, I think, is, is, is the main takeaway from it with some really just... It's a, it's not hyper-realistic uh, by any means, but it has a bit of that about it um, with with the performances, I think. Um, so yeah, I really liked eighth grade. It was definitely contending for my top five.
1: Michael, um, again, I'm fairly certain you hadn't seen this one, so no crossover from you. No,
2: I don't. I don't know anything about this either. I know who Bob Burnham is actually, but um, I wasn't aware of the film.
1: I think he's mo- he's most famous actually for his U- YouTube comedy output. Yeah, um, that's why that's why I know him from you. Yeah. Which you know gives him an, a unique insight, I suppose, into um, you know people who are struggling with their confidence and trying to live a a artificial life on the internet mm-hmm. um and like like i said th- this is a sweet natured um critique of social media as opposed to you know a sharp you know stabby 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 you know satire but um yeah. i loved it yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, then. Let's see what crossover we've got for number ones. Maybe none. Yeah. <laughs> it's looking uh, like we
0: might have none. It's interesting.
1: We might have none. So, um, let's start back with... No, that's let's mix up the order for this one, then, because he hasn't talked in a while. <laughs> uh, Michael, what okay. is your number one?
2: Okay, so, at uh, number one, I've got a film. I don't think this is going to surprise anyone that I've got this. We talked extensively about it on the live podcast we did. It's Joker. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So Joker, co-written and directed by Todd Phillips. Um, this is a derivative movie. So let's get that out of the way uh, straight off. It's highly influenced. and It makes no secrets about it. Uh, about the classic uh, by sc- classic Scorsese material, um, especially Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy, uh, Raging Bull, apparently as well. Also. At the moment, nostalgia uh, is... I've sort of touched upon it a bit with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But in terms of actual creation of um, films and also music, nostalgia is the dominant mode in our culture at the moment. And we see that in the way that a lot of films are reboots and remakes. We see a lot of that. Um... I think I don't know if the Joker would be class uh, if Joker would be classed as an original film because obviously it uses the source material of the Joker's origin story, although it, it plays loosely and freely with that. Uh, but at one point last year, the number two and three films on my list, Midsummer and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, were the two uh, I think highest grossing uh, original films of the year, and I think that shows that you, you know it's become it's become unusual for films to perform well when they are entirely original, and that's where we are currently, culturally, I think, uh, and that plays into this a little bit. Um, as I said when I was talking about Midsommar, this is another film that weaves uh, divergent elements together effortlessly, and what I mean in the context of this film is that um, obviously the Joker origin story originally isn't doesn't have anything to do with the sort of modes of storytelling that you take from the Scorsese films that I mention. It doesn't it wasn't written in a modern context as a commentary on society today, but it feels like it always has been all of those things when you watch it. And that's what's really impressive about it, I think, and the way it's presented. Uh, it's the same way I didn't really touch upon this, but in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Tarantino uses 1969, uh, and specifically the Manson murders as a way of talking about loss and he does it by mirroring it to the character of rick dalton's sense of loss as his career starts to unspool so these are these are the sort of things i'm trying to talk i'm talking about it's the way that directors and writers operate on those sort of levels make it seem logical there's a lot of sense behind this joker film and that's i think that really makes it very strong uh, joaquin phoenix is basically my favorite actor out there he's Totally incredible in this film. The what he pours into this performance is you know, just, it's just miraculous acting, really. Um The film's gritty, it's dark, there's barely a laugh in it, which I think is quite unusual for me to love a film this much when that's the case, because I think comedy's always an essential part of films, regardless of what they are. Uh but in this case there's barely any of that and it didn't it didn't really set me back. It still gripped me to the same extent. Uh, One of the things we talked so extensively about on the podcast before was how sharply divisive this film was in reaction and commentary on it. Um, At heart, it's a film about mental health, and specifically the effects on mental health of austerity measures. It's about the plight of lonely people, especially men, and the way they turn to violence. Now, a lot of the reaction to the film was critical, and it was critical of it was specifically critical of people in that position, which really shocked and in some ways sickened me. Um and I think a lot of this infighting I mean, me and Alex were having a conversation about it this weekend. You see a lot of this infighting between people who, on paper, you would expect to be allies really. And I think this is typical of the way that uh in a contemporary setting, a lot of people have been turned against each other when they should be working together. And often it's been over it's been of you know issues that are relatively minor in the grander scheme of things. Uh, I saw a tweet actually this week that I told Alex about that I think it sums it up uh, superbly. It sums up the political situation that we had in Britain at the end of last year with the election and that we're now seeing in America as the Democrat nomination race hots up. Uh, the tweet was just uh, it just said American politics in 2020, and it said this restaurant only serves food or shit. Which would you like? I'll have my favourite food and if not that I'll have the shit. And I think that sums <laughs> that basically sums up the uh you know the position that peop the positions that some people are taking. I think it's such a shame really. But for me this film has a very clear message actually, uh, which is it's about the invisibility of the downtrodden. And I think that was understood by a lot of creative figures and writers and actors who've commented on this film. Uh it, they seem to be much more praiseworthy of the film than critics or audiences were and also a lot of mental health figures have come out and said how much they admire this film, how accurate they think it is in certain elements that it presents. Uh, So, in other words, experts, who I know we don't like or value anymore, (laughs) uh, are big fans of the film. So make of that what you will. And we're sat here doing this twenty four hours. I'm not saying celebrities are not the same as downtrodden people, as I said, although they can be, they can be interchangeable in some ways, and they do get treated like shit. And we're sat here twenty-four hours after one of them has killed themselves for that exact reason. So again, make of that what you will. Um and yeah, I think people it's if if people don't like this film, you know, that that's that's fine. Uh, you know, and I'm sure some people are gonna come at it from a cinematic angle, they're gonna make criticisms from that. Uh, from that vantage point, and they're going to say, you know, it was too derivative for me, um, I didn't think the writing was that strong or whatever, that's fine, yeah, that that's going to happen, there's no problem with that. But I think if you dislike the content of this film, and you feel that strongly about it in some of the words that I've mentioned, then, again, it's fine, but I think what you may actually dislike is our society. And for me, that this film encapsulates where we are perfectly... And that, combined with the acting and the storytelling, is why I've ranked it at number one.
1: Yeah, I I I nearly entirely agree with you. Um, I'm I'm surprised at the vitriol it has from some people. From from some people, I respect the opinion of as well. Um, I understand the comments about it being derivative, and if you're going to knock marks off it, fine for that. That's fine, but the level of hate it's had from some areas. Um I just don't understand. But um it didn't make my top five, um so it's not my number one either, but um certainly made my top ten and um you know and you know, a performance for the ages from Joaquin Phoenix, although despite the fact that this has been his most rewarded critically, well at least in terms of awards, probably not the one he should have won for, but um you know it was one of my films of last year. Uh, Clive, you would have seen this as well.
0: I, I have, yeah. Um, I was certainly, uh, yeah, well, I think we talked about it in the live episode, but I don't know if I'd seen it then, actually, I'm not sure. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I like The Joker a lot. It hasn't made my top five. It probably would have been between five and ten, somewhere. Same for near me, the, same for me. Somewhere nearer the ten end, probably. But, um, yeah, I really enjoyed The Joker, and the, the only reason I probably ended up a bit lower is just I... Uh, I know it is. It and what I liked about it, it was very refreshing of the superhero thing. But I think I have so much superhero fatigue that if there's any even remote superhero ness, I'm a little bit. <laughs> I, I struggle to to even to, to love it, um, which is a shame because I think if I'd watched the film outside of that vacuum, I probably would have enjoyed it a little bit more. Um, and, and like I say, I think it is way different to... Pretty much any other of the superhero films that I've seen, um yeah. So really, really enjoyed the Joker, and I pretty much echo uh, Michael's statements about how it's a really good reflection of of where we are at the minute. I think that's true, and I think a lot of people, I don't know. It's just it, it is kind of weird that people have these different uh, differing opinions about this. Well, I suppose it's not, but I don't know. Uh, I've not been on Twitter for the last three or four months, so I don't really know what the stuff's been going on with it, just because I'm tired of people just flinging shit at each other, which seems to be what the world's devolved into uh, that your opinion is either completely wrong or right and that's it, there isn't some sort of fucking grey line, everything's grey lines man yeah. <laughs> are not in, there's none anymore, it's just you're a twat and I'm right yeah. uh, <laughs> and I'm not going to listen to you because I've, lab- I've given you some sort of label and I don't like that label and I've put you in that box and I'm going to fucking listen to you now because I've put you in this box for this label um, and that seems to be what we've, what we've evolved into. And it's just a bit sad. Um, yeah,
1: there seems to be a battle on things like Twitter, particularly. I mean, we could we could go on all all day about criticising ha- the right on you know Twitter, who you know spread disinformation um, hmm. and hatred. But o- often it's people who I have the exact or near exact same political opinions who are nearly as bad uh, in that kind of a battle for moral purity. Um, you know, past you know, past mistakes, and I'm not talking about sexual assault or anything like that, of course, um, you know, and, and is not tolerated. You know, w- you know, one and you're done, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, you're either pure or you're not.
2: Yeah, and yeah, the fact that people change doesn't seem to be a thing that people value or
1: yeah, realise. Yeah.
0: Very, very good point, yeah, and that's such a big thing. Like, I mean, I, I think I've done some of that stuff on Twitter that I'm not proud of. Like, I think I've changed now and I don't do it anymore, but... um, that doesn't mean that just because I've done that, everyone should now be like, "Oh, well, he's a dick because he did this four years ago." Yeah. Uh, it, obviously, like as Al rightly points out, it is a. Uh, it depends what that thing was four years ago, but generally speaking, it's things that you know everyone mistakes that everyone makes as a as a part of growing up and turning into the person that they want to be. Uh, and I think if you're criticizing people for making mistakes, then. I don't know. You you become a getting a bit bloody preachy, here, but I think you become a good person by making mistakes and realizing what the mistakes are, mm-hmm. um, and and learning from those mistakes. You shouldn't be criticised for making, yeah, sure, criticise people at the time, or whatever, but don't say ju- don't judge someone from what they did five years ago. Judge them from what they are now. And I think a lot of the time where these like Twitter flinging shit arguments, if they actually just sat down and talked, it probably wouldn't be a flinging shit argument. It would be much more of a. Uh, personal talk about oh well I think this and yeah maybe we're not quite as far apart on the thing as we actually thought Um, and I think it's just a a, a result of the kind of impersonality of doing something online um, and not having that face to face chat opportunity yeah Um, Mm -hmm.
1: but cool nice little uh, sub conversation there off the back of it (laughs) yeah Um, moving back on to topic Clive what, what was
0: your number one? My number one, and I don't know if you'll be expecting this. Um, I don't know if I was when uh, I watched it. I is, thought I was going to enjoy it. it. Uh, is it Apollo 12? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Apollo 13. I thought it had come out uh, last year. No? <laughs> Tom Hanks was great. Um, no, it's If Beale Street Could Talk, which I know Alice has seen, he's talked about it. I'm not sure if you've seen it, Michael. No,
2: I still haven't um, seen it, unfortunately.
0: No. Which I thought was fantastic, and I watched it... Um, my mum watched it actually which is it's, it's rare that my mum sees a film before i do um and she really loved it she's like you need to go watch this i was like okay cool i'll I'll watch it so i watched it um she lent me the dvd and i watched it and it's it's just fabulous um he it's from so i'll read a bit of a blurb so it's a romantic drama film directed and written by barry jenkins and based on uh, james baldwin's novel of the same name uh it stars in a cast of kiki lane who's absolutely superb stuff Stephen James, not Stephen James. Coleman Domingo, uh, Tiona Paris, Michael Beach, Dave Franco, and a load of other people. Uh, Regina King is uh, particularly notable as well. She's great. Um, it follows basically a young woman who um, her
1: boyfriend—I
0: don't think they're married. Uh, uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, boyfriend uh, is accused, falsely accused of rape, and is in prison. And she's trying to get him out with the help of her family, basically. And um, so it's a kind of Essentially, at its core, it's a love story between those two, um, with the sort of stuff going on around. And it's... this is It's a weird one, because this one... I think this is a film that actually doesn't really take any risks. Um, it's not out there doing anything particularly new, but I think it is just a masterclass of, like, doing everything perfectly. <laughs> and that's the feeling I got when I finished it. I thought... I, I love, like... I liked Moonlight a lot. I like this more. Um... And I just thought that he has this way of, I think that particularly the way films faces uh, the director is just amazing. Like he, You'll just zoom in on the face and it goes in a little bit with this point I was making earlier about the Twitter thing. And it does make it really personal. You see you watching them talk with pretty zoomed into their face and you're seeing all the facial expressions. And again, it, it's a tribute to the great acting, in particular by Kiki Lane and uh, Stefan James and the two lead roles. I think it's them too. Um, the... the, the you just feel what they're feeling because of the way they they bring it across and the way that the the director brings it across. And every shot is beautiful, even though it's not ever... There's nothing really... There isn't shots of anything that you would consider to be necessarily beautiful, but the way he's shot it, it is... (laughs) I don't know how to describe that. Just when they're they're sat in the flat, and it's not like even a particularly amazing-looking flat or anything, but the way he's shot it is beautiful and poetic, and it's just got this weird sheen to it, which... I don't know. It is just, in a way... Just like a really perfectly executed film. And I think I just really appreciated that. Um, and obviously it's got a really good, you know, the message of it about, you know, the ridiculous racism within the legal system in America is is also really poignant and obviously still the case. And it's just really fucking sad. Um, but even, even without that, I think this film was just, <laughs> it's, just, it's just a perfect piece of filmmaking that probably anyone who wants to w- make films should watch I think not that I make films or know all that much about filmmaking but I just got that vibe of like every single thing had been thought about, there wasn't a second wasted it was just absolutely brilliant and I think, it's rare that I like uh, romance films this much but this I thought this was r- really really good and I think the central relationship is so believable how it's brought across um, yeah, a really really excellent film with just I could I don't really want anyone to pick out performances because I think everyone in the film is brilliant, um yeah, really really good. I know you watched this out.
1: Yeah, well, um, spoilers. It's it's my number one as well. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't um, expect that. <laughs> I, I think I think the the two words I would pick out that you, that you pick say there was beauty and poetry. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a film that is so majestically um, intimate and sparse at the same time. Um, to, to, for that sentence to make any sense to you, you'll need to have seen it, but uh, <laughs> hopefully you'll get what I mean. Um, it, I, I, I don't, this film feels like it was. It's a period film to an extent, and when I mean period film, I mean let's say it could have been filmed in the seventies, albeit with better technology. Mm. Um, there is, I mean, y- you would you would struggle not to call this almost voyeuristic at times, but. Because of the the pure beauty at the at the heart of the narrative, um, it never feels that way. You are very much with the, these two characters in particular at their you know best moments, at their worst moments, and um, I think if you're looking for a film which really sums up the African. American experience. Not that I've had that at all, obviously, and not that I've really got an idea. But from what I've read about it, at least, and certainly how it felt to me, instinctively, this feels like this is the one. Um, the The racism in the film is is not so much the you know the white hooded Ku Klux Klan style. It's more systemic, um, and despite the fact that the film is about you know an incident of you know police brutality. Uh, An incident of you know institutionalized racism. At its heart, it's still a romantic, um, romantic drama, and it never loses sight of that. And um, you know, you'll never have the taste of sick in your mouth watching this. You know, I don't care what your um, what your tolerance is like for rom coms or romantic films. Um, This one just feels right, and um, I think, yeah beauty is the word Like I've never seen anything quite like it in, in that respect and um, it stuck with me, I saw this right at the start of the year um, so this is one of those ones that I think will have been a 2018 release in America, but 2019 over here um, all year, it was the only film I gave 10 out of 10 to um, I, I can barely pick a fault with it
0: yeah, <laughs> it's, echo yeah, that it's just great such a good film. Everyone to see it. And like I, I thought I was going to enjoy it. I thought I was going to really like it. In fact, I didn't think I'd love it this much. Um, yeah, it's superb. I can't pick a fault with it. I think that's pretty much sums it up.
1: Um, Michael, I know you haven't seen this yet, but are, are we edging you closer towards it? Oh, of course, yeah.
2: Yeah, I definitely need to see it. Uh, just circumstance, really, that I haven't... Um... I didn't go to the cinema that much, and obviously last year, and obviously it has to be convenient to go anyway, And then um, haven't had a properly functioning DVD player, so I haven't been buying many new films. That's really why I haven't seen some of these films. So, uh, given how much I loved Moonlight, this should be a logical one. So,
1: yeah, um, I, I'm like Clive. Um, I, I preferred this to Moonlight, and I loved Moonlight. Um, you know, I yeah. thought Moonlight was another ten out of ten, but um, this was my comfortably my you know number one of last year and um, the next I'm not sure if it's the next thing he's doing but uh, Barry Jenkins I know is being charged with the TV adaptation of the Underground Railroad really? uh, which is wow. one of my very favorite books of the last 10 years and yeah wow that that could be something special I, hmm. I think he's got another film coming out before that soon he might well do. I know this. It's, it's, it's going to be an Amazon Prime series, from what I understand, yeah. um, and I, I cannot wait for that. Um, I think, well, I think, uh, to give the game away a bit, with two number ones, surely that's got to be the overall number one, I think. Oh, of course. We've got the consensus we thought was elusive, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now we need to decide the crossover. I mean, Midsummer is... I think
0: Midsummer's probably going to be number two, and then at the minute I've penned in Penciled in, Marriage Story maybe for number three mm-hmm.
1: makes sense. I think it has to with it making my list so high and the the you know the fact that it would have made your list had you thought it was <laughs> last year. <laughs>
0: and I realised, I don't know.
1: Uh, Joker has to go in there because it's Michael's number one. Agreed. And it was close to making my top five and yeah. reasonably close to yours as well. If, if it made you top ten, mm-hmm. I think the one that's difficult is number five. Yeah, Any it's thoughts?
2: To- toss up though, isn't it?
0: I maybe, think. I mean, eighth grade, maybe, because you had it in your top five. I had it very close to my top five. What else have we got? Uh,
1: yeah. Well, once you could make the same argument about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well, though. Yeah. Um, You could make the same argument about... I don't know, I don't know. I feel like, Michael, you've got the least, you know... I think you, from yours, you've got two in the list, but you haven't got... As much of a dog in the fight, I don't know. What do you think? What do you mean? <laughs> I feel like you—you've got the soundest head for this. What's number five? <laughs> All right. Well, I, I think I think that um, i have already
2: got two in there. Obviously, um, I think that if if it's say we were looking at it between those two, then I think it should probably be eighth grade because it was number two on your list, wasn't it? It was.
0: So yeah,
1: I suppose. Okay, yeah. that's fair enough. Then let's go with
0: that. Good logic.
1: Yeah, no fights whatsoever. Um Yeah, I mean, <laughs> come on guys, it's you know um
0: eighth grade was shit. Can we
1: not put it there? <laughs> Michael <laughs> can, we put, <laughs>
0: can we put can we put like some film that only I saw there, please? And I'll really battle for it to go um, on. Um argument.
1: Um, I'd really like it if the list went. If Beale Street could talk, Eighth Grade, Marriage Story, da, 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 da. Um <laughs> No, I think we've got we've got a good we've got a good top five there. So in at number five we've got Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade. In at number four we've got Todd Phillips's Joker. In at number three we've got Noah Baumbach's Marriage Story. In at number two we've got Arias's Midsummer. And number one. Uh, we've got Barry Jenkins, If Beale Street Could Talk. Stella. That'd Stella list. I feel like
0: a strong top five. Yeah,
1: I'd seen... There are two films from our collective 15 that I hadn't seen, Burning and Apollo 11. I'll be seeking them out. The one I'm going to go for the most, I think, is Burning. What I think is you're going to like Burning, yeah. What is the one film, Clive, from Minor Michael's list that you haven't seen that you'll be seeking out the most? Uh, good question um,
0: I, don't, I don't I think the let's have a look this is tough it's tough it's tough I think it's going to ha- well Once Upon a Time in the West I think it's going to have to be number three you mean in, in Hollywood you
1: mean
0: Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for Once Upon I mean, a Time in the West just...
1: also a good film brilliant <laughs> film a bit older than twenty 2019 though
0: uh... <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and then the favourite I think probably probably yeah. those two I think I've seen, and, and to be fair, all of them, Knives Out as well. I've seen, I saw most of your top five, I'll say, mm-hmm. except for Knives
1: Out. What, Michael, what would be your, what? what's the one that you're going to seek out more than any others? Definitely if Bill Street could talk, obviously. You've got to, haven't you? You've just got to. E- even if I didn't
2: already want to see it, which I did, then, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh,
0: it's good. It's so good, cool. so good.
1: Well, that was relatively stress-free. Um...
0: No, I was just saying, it's it's weird for a film that it take. I don't think it takes many risks, like I said, uh, but it's just so perfect. I had to put it in number one, and I've just watched it and was just like, "Yeah, this is perfect." Uh, I don't know. It's usually my number one is something that's a bit more
1: out there. If that's a, if you know. I, what I, mean. I see. I I think I might disagree with you there. I think it does okay. take risks, but on a not on a you know outrageous scale. But um, I think it would have been easy to concentrate everything on you know really kind of in your face racism because you know this is a book adaptation yes, yes. it's not an original um mm-hmm. story um but yeah no I loved it maybe I mean it's not got any it's not edgy I don't know mm-hmm. yeah
0: anyway it's not it's not us- usually usually to have a film up put at number one I don't think but I just it's just it's just great great filmmaking and uh, just heartwarming stuff and wh- while also being devastatingly sad at the same time um yeah, a really strong top five there, guys, I think. Really strong, yeah. Happy with Hope- that.
1: Hopefully this year is just as good. Um, yeah. Parasite's going to take some some doing to knock it out of my number one. I'm going to say that. It's one of the rare occasions where the Oscars seems to have got it right. Um, but you never know. You never know. There's a long yeah, year ahead.
0: Coming. But yeah, same here. i will be shocked if Parasite doesn't end up in my top five. It would have been yeah. a very good year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Bring it on.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> okay, so next, next, we're going to be going through our top five for music. That will be for next time, though. In the meantime, um, I still want you to do it, Clive, even if it's a list.
0: Oh, plug time. What are you talking about? Plug time! That's my Twitter. Stick around podcast like podcast.com on the interwebs. Slash Stick Around Podcast on Facebook, all the stuff you can um, send us an email at stickaroundpodcast at gmail or go to stick dot and fill out the contact form, and we'll, we'll answer your question. Tell us the top five's wrong. Tell us it's really right. Tell us your top five. Um, you can also oh give us five star reviews on iTunes. That's the main thing that I want people to do because, as I say, every week when someone does that, we get a nice little bump in the numbers, which is nice. Gets gets the message out a little bit, so that's the best thing you can do. If you if you only do one thing with your life today, give us yeah. a five star
1: review. Yeah, anything else? All one selfish. star,
0: as we said, we want to be polarizing.
1: Yeah. Michael, I'm expecting big things from you on this music list. Uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> no pressure. I'm ready. He's ready.
2: Are oh, you? I've got my list. I know what I want to say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Anyway, uh, we'll see you next I'm time, ready. guys. It's gonna be good. Absolutely. Thank you. See you later. See you later. Stick around. Stick Stick around. around.
0: Thank you all for listening. Rest assured that you have found. The best podcast in the universe It's Stick Around